Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Man, I just want to like watch like a mini series or something like that after every, like every single time I'm like, oh my gosh, what happens next? <laughs> Surprise, it's me. Um, I'm, the, uh, I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist. My name is Peter Anderson. We're glad you're here with us today, whether you're in person or you're joining us online. It is indeed Communion Sunday. Uh, so for those of you joining us online, you can get those elements ready. But beyond that, if you didn't receive elements as you walked in, you'll have an opportunity at the end of service to raise your hand in our uh, ushers or members of our diaconate will take care of you. But uh, we are continuing on in our series in the book of Mark. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 1 this week. Uh, again, we started in Mark chapter 1 last week. And this is only week 2 um, of our, uh, our series in Mark. So if you missed the kickoff and you're like, man, what did he have to say last week? Because I know that's the question you all ask yourselves. You can go online. Um, you can find uh, last week's message. We also um, are on, we, you can podcast this too on Spotify or on uh, Apple, whatever it may be. So shameless plug done. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 14 today. Um, and so we'll get there in just a second. Um, you can flip there whether it's physically or digitally. But today we get to talk a little bit about Jesus calling the disciples, at least the first four disciples um, at this point. And as I was kind of thinking about a way to, to open this message about, you know, how we follow a leader and, you know, that kind of story, I had to wrestle with it with the idea of why is it that we follow some people and why other people that we don't want to follow with like a 20-foot pole? We're like, I want to stay as far away from that person as I possibly can. And whether that be in your personal world, whether it be in your professional world, whatever. Because in our personal world, we have spaces like churches. We have community organizations. Uh, many of us have maybe politics or politicians that, that we want to follow as well. And in the corporate world, whether you work, you know, at a small business, maybe you're at a military base or, or in a school, at some point, you have to be okay following the leader that is in charge of these different organizations. And, and maybe at some point you just made the mistake, was like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow this guy. And eventually you're like, it's a terrible decision, but I'm too far down, far down the rabbit hole now, so I just got to kind of live with it. But the question, though, becomes why? Why is it that some leaders are worth following and other leaders are forgettable? Okay, I was uh, reading an article in the Harvard Business Review. I know. All of you are like, wow, impressive. He's reading an article. And I, I do in my corduroy jacket with my uh, elbow patches and my pipe, sit in my armchair and read the Harvard Business Review. I don't. Um, anyway, I was doing research, though, for this, and, and this article came up um, from the, uh, the Harvard Business Review, and this is what, it, it had a very interesting thing that it said about leadership. It said, uh, followers' motivations fall into two different categories when it comes to leadership, rational and irrational. The rational ones are conscious and therefore well-known. They have to do with our hopes of gaining money, status, power, uh, entry into a meaningful enterprise by following a great leader, and our fears that we will miss out if we don't. More influential, though, much of the time, are the irrational motivations that lie outside the realm of awareness, and therefore beyond our ability to control them. So in short, People follow leaders for two reasons. The first reason is the obvious reason. They have something to offer the follower, right? The second is less tangible and oftentimes irrational, meaning there seems to be no reason that the person is willing to follow the leader other than the fact that they are indeed drawn to that leader for 
whatever reason that it may, it may be. So think about your world for a second. Hey, think about the people that you follow in your life. Why do you follow the people that you follow? You know, for some of them, it's your boss, and so I follow that person because of the fact that it's a job, and if I don't follow that person, I'm not going to get a paycheck. And so because of that, I have to follow that, that person. Okay, so think about whether it be, you know, a boss, a parent, a small group leader, a pastor, right? And I'm not saying that to sound arrogant, but at some point you've had to decide that you were comfortable coming to this church with Peter at the helm, right? And it's probably one of those irrational reasons because you're like, I'm not getting anything out of this guy. I'm just drawn to him for some reason. I don't care. That's fine. You're here. Tied boxes are in the back. So, (laughs) but think like regardless, why do you follow the people that you follow, Because for those of you who would even call yourself a Christian, those of you who would call yourself a follower of Jesus, why did you decide to put your faith in Christ in the first place? Because as we look at this story today, we essentially see Jesus walking by some guys and telling them to stop what they were doing and come follow him. So it picks up in verse 14. It'll be on the screen. It says, after John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. That's what has been on the screen the last two weeks, right? Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So before we jump into this, before we jump into this, a couple verses that we kind of, we we don't have a ton of time to be able to get into. Those are verses 12 and 13. So remember, if you you think back to last week, we got all the way up through Jesus' baptism, right? We had John the Baptist is baptizing people, and I don't know if I really made you aware as to how many people were just flooding out, like coming out of, of their towns to be able to see, listen to, and be baptized by John the Baptist. There were tons of people coming out uh, to be able to see him. But beyond that, we talked last week about prophecy that had been fulfilled. We talked about the proclamation of, of Jesus as the Son of God. A ton of stuff happened last week. And so this week then in verses, verses 12 and 13, there's this little tiny piece in there that it says Jesus was brought up out of the water and immediately the Holy Spirit tells him, hey, go out into the wilderness. You're going to be tempted by Satan for 40 days and the angels are going to take care of you. And that's it. That's the entirety of that story. So I know a lot of us are thinking, for those of us who have been around church anyway, like, man, I remember that story being a lot beefier than that. It's because it is. But remember, as we're walking through the book of Mark, Mark is like, go, go, go. So many stories, so tight, so concise, that he, he oftentimes leaves a lot of the details on the cutting room floor. And so with this, yes, it's important for us to be able to understand that Jesus, as a human, was completely and totally tempted in the desert for 40 days by Satan, and the angels took care of him, but we don't have time to get into the theology of all that this morning. However, when you guys are talking about theology over lunch, because I know that's what you guys are going to be doing, right? Everybody, after church, we go talk about theology. That's just what we do. Um, Ask the question, and it's a fun question. Ask the question, could Jesus sin? 
And if the answer is no, then could Jesus actually be tempted? But if the answer is yes, was he actually the son of God? You guys can wrestle with that. I'm sure you guys can handle it. So anyway, those are verses 12 and 13 for us. Okay. And like I said, it's an important story, but we pick up in 14. And this is kind of a timestamp for us that Mark gives us. He says, after John was put in prison, boom, timestamp for us. Okay, because we don't understand all of the timing here. Remember, like I said, Mark is just like, story, 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 story. And so because of that, this is a marker. Everybody would have known that John the Baptist was put into prison, right? Remember how I said droves and droves of people were coming out to see John the Baptist? Him getting put into prison would have been a big deal. Everybody would have put that as their Facebook status, right? Like that would have been the massive deal at the time. And so it kind of sets a somber, a somber tone here. Okay? That's the last time we heard, the last time we heard of John, rather, was he was baptizing, he's preaching in the wilderness, and everyone was coming out to him. Things were going well. And Mark is going to fill us in the rest of the details later on in the gospel about what actually happens to, to John the Baptist. But for now, it's enough to know that things turned bad for John, and John was arrested, and John was locked up. So we don't know exactly how much time takes place between verse 13 when Jesus was in the wilderness and verse 14 um, because Jesus didn't immediately begin his kind of preaching public ministry in Galilee, okay? So this is the first, this is a timestamp. Remember, boom, from this point, Jesus began teaching. So this really is for the first time we get to see how ministry is going to go down for Jesus. Like what does this ministry look like? What is it that this guy is going to say? What is it this guy is going to do? We don't know that up until now. And so after John was put in prison, Jesus goes into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And that good news is the time has come. He said the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the beginning of his public preaching ministry, proclaiming the good news of God. That phrase, good news here, that Greek word good news can also be translated as gospel. Okay, so if you ever think to yourself, what does the word gospel mean? Is that just a fancy word for the book of the Bible or whatever? It's not. Gospel literally translated means good news. But of course, the people that Jesus was talking to didn't have the same understanding of the gospel that we have today. When we hear the word gospel, we think of Christmas to Easter, right? We think birth of Jesus all the way up to resurrection of Christ. That is the entirety of the gospel. These people at this moment of time would not have understood what the, quote, good news was because the history of those things hadn't happened yet. And so Jesus is still proclaiming the good news, though. So how does that work? How can a guy who is yet to die and be raised from the dead again able to proclaim the good news of God? Well, he's able to do it because he's proclaiming what was happening both then and there. What was happening? Look at verse 15. It says, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. So Jesus spoke and he obviously taught much more than that. Even as you're thinking about this phrase, you kind of get the word picture in your head of like Jesus walking down the street with a big bell, right, and a sandwich board talking about, hey, repent and believe. The end is near, right? Time is nigh. All of those things are yelling at people with a loudspeaker on the corner, whatever it may be. Remember, this is just a summary of Jesus's teaching. Did he say this? Probably. 
Hey, but beyond this, he wouldn't have just said that and moved on to the next person and moved on to the next person. What we know about Jesus is he took time to communicate and communicate well. So this is a summary of what it is that he said. But this summary has two parts. So again, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. So John the Baptist had come to prepare the way for Jesus. And now Jesus was there. A lot of us, John the Baptist, a lot of people like John the Baptist, I don't think we give this guy the credit that this guy deserves. Okay? Because it's like John the Baptist, and then he's off the scene, and we'll talk about how he gets cut off the scene, pun intended, later on. Okay? But the reality is, is that he really did pave the way for Jesus. He put expectations forth for who Jesus was going to be, what it was Jesus was going to proclaim. So he's, you know, he says, hey, Jesus is coming. And the time that John had spoken had now arrived in the person of Jesus. John had said, hey, he is coming. Someone that I am not worthy to tie his sandals is coming. And so this verse 15 can also be translated, the time is fulfilled. Not just the time is coming, but the time is fulfilled. The time has come to completion. The kingdom of God is near. The time has come. So the people of Jesus' day would have been familiar with this concept. Hey, they would have been familiar with the concept of God's kingdom, and it referred to, you know, his rule over everything. And they knew that God was this sovereign leader, this sovereign ruler over all things, yet they also knew that God had allowed his people to come under the rule of other nations. Right? If you read through the Old Testament, man, it seems like every other book the nation of Israel is coming under slavery of some other nation at some point. And so this nation has been waiting and waiting and waiting for their deliverer, waiting for their Messiah. And the time is now fulfilled. Jesus has come. So that was the first part of his message. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. That's the good news. The second part of his message is this. Repent and believe the good news. We talked a little bit about repentance last week. Okay, just a little bit though. The word repent carries the idea of turning away from your sins, right? Oftentimes when I talk about repentance, I do this, and we talk about turning away from our sins, right? But I think part of the thing that gets lost in translation of this idea of repentance is it's not just behavior modification. It's not just turning around and, and not doing bad things anymore, okay? It's, act, it's actively pursuing a new direction, and a new direction that is God, so let's talk about this idea of repent, be changed from your old way of life, and begin to believe the good news. In Scripture, repentance and belief, they always go together. You can't repent without believing, and you can't believe without repenting. They're two sides of, of the same coin, and you can't have one without the other. So a true repentance for you note-takers out there, a true repentance is a believing repentance. That's what a true repentance would be. And true faith is repentant faith. So in short, like you can't repent of a bad diet, right? Like you can't be like, you know what? I'm going to repent of my unhealthy eating ways and start pursuing healthy eating ways. That stops short of actual repentance. All that is is behavior modification, okay? Repentance has to include the pursuit of Jesus, the pursuit of God going in the other direction. And I think that's one of the things that we have forgotten about in the American church is so often we treat our, you know, uh, like, like our relationship with God as behavior modification. It's this kind of like guilt induced, like, oh, I did something bad. And so I need to turn around and I need to do good things, which is true. 
However, it's not the good things that make you holy. It's the pursuit of God that makes you holy on a more regular basis. And that, that's this idea of, of repentance. So Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. Believe that the time has come. Believe that the kingdom of God is near. Believe that God is about to fulfill all of his promises. Repent and believe the good news. That's the gospel in a nutshell, right? But it keeps going. Because after all that, we see Jesus taking a stroll by the Sea of Galilee. And I think this is kind of where it picks up for us. Because largely, repent and believe the good news is the summary of every single one of my messages. Right At the end of our, my message today, we will pray to ABCs. We will say, admit, believe, and choose. Repent and believe the good news of Jesus. Right? But it keeps going. So it picks up with Jesus strolling by the Sea of Galilee. Okay? And in the Sea of Galilee, largely, we call it a sea. It's not... A sea, the Sea of Galilee is really just a massive inland lake. Think Lake Tahoe, but bigger. Okay? That's essentially what we have going on here. The Jordan River flows through it from the north to the south. The lake is about 12 miles long, and it's about 7 miles wide. And it's located in the Jordan Rift Valley, about 700 feet below sea level. Really, really far below sea level. And back in its day, it was known for incredible fishing. And I don't know if it still is, but back in the day, it absolutely was. And so because of that, little towns and villages dotted the entire surrounding of the Sea of Galilee. Okay? All of these, because all of these people would have needed that fish, would have needed the fish either just to feed their families or to provide income for them in order for them to be able to survive, right? And so we're going to see what goes, what goes on here, because we see two guys, Simon and Andrew, brothers, and they're sitting and doing what fishermen were doing. They were simply casting a net into the lake because, as it says, they were fishermen. And then Jesus calls to them. Okay, so I'm not a fisherman. I've never been a fisherman. I don't know how to tie knots outside of my shoes, and sometimes that's hit or miss, okay? But what I, as I was doing my research, because I think to myself, oh, throwing a net. They got like a little net, and they threw it out there, and they just tugged it in and got some fish, and man, that can't be that hard, right? So these nets would have been massive nets with rocks tied every so often, I guess. Someone can get mad at me and email me about this later because I'm going to totally butcher it. But throw this out. This was hard work. They would throw these nets out, and eventually, once it settled down to the bottom and all of the fish were in there, they would then grab the rope and pull the nets out. And so these guys were doing their work, the work that they were doing was necessary for them, for their families to be able to survive. This was their livelihood. This was their paycheck. This was not simply just a hobby, right? So, so there they are, they're throwing, they're, they're, they're at work, and all of a sudden Jesus calls, calls these two guys and it has two parts to it. The first part is like, hey, come and follow me. Come and follow me. And this was different from the other rabbis of Jesus' day. So rabbis, most rabbis had disciples, okay? So the fact that Jesus had disciples, this isn't weird. It's weird to us. The only disciples that we know about in our lives are Jesus' disciples or someone part of a cult, right? Like those are the only two disciples that we hear about. Okay, but disciples back in the day would have been normal. And so rabbis at the time, they would not walk around and search for disciples. They wouldn't be like, hey, you, come follow me. Hey, you, come be my disciple, People had to actively pursue these other rabbis in order to begin following them. And even then, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to follow you. Can I follow you? I'm going to start walking and following you and living life next to you and watching you heal people or whatever. It was more along the lines of, hey, can I follow you and your understanding of the law? Can I hear how you would interpret 
the law. That was the idea of following a rabbi at the time. We even kind of get notes of this further on in the New Testament in one of Paul's epistles where he talks about, you guys keep saying that I am of Peter and I am of Paul and I am of Apollos. And then Paul is like, hey, knock it off. Everybody follow Jesus. This is what they were preconditioned to do. They were preconditioned to follow specific rabbis, specific teachers in their life because I want to follow their interpretation of the law. And so this is the instance where, where Jesus is like, hey, just come and follow me. Yep, I'm a rabbi and I am actively looking for new disciples. So it would have been pretty tough for those other people because those other rabbis, because someone would come to them and say, can I be a follower? Can I be your disciple? And they had every opportunity to say, nope, you can't which would have been pretty, pretty terrible coming to church for the first time. Be like, hey, can I be your disciple? And the rabbi was like, uh-uh, go find another one. Pretty terrible. So Jesus, though, he goes and he calls his disciples. He called them to follow him. And this wasn't a call to follow a religion or a set of teachings or a way of life, but to call, a call to follow a person. And that's still true today. Right? We all understand that old axiom that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. We've all heard that before, and some of us have heard it so many times, like we roll our eyes at it, like, okay, I get it, it's a relationship, right? But it is, the, it, it is absolutely true. We can even see this as Jesus calls, Jesus calls his disciples. It's like, hey, come and follow me. And it's not come and follow my interpretation of the law. It's of the law. It's literally come and do life with me. Come and follow me. Walk where I walk. See the things that I am about to do. Listen to the things that I am going to teach. Where 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 I go, you go. And I think that's important for us to remember. Because this is how we need to, to be willing to live our lives when it comes to Jesus. Following Jesus is not the same as Twitter. I know you guys are like, what? Why do you say Twitter? Because I want to be culturally relevant. Elon Musk just bought Twitter in the last two weeks, and I felt like I needed to work it into my message, okay? So, but it's not like Twitter, right? Twitter, all you got to do is you got to log on, you got to follow somebody, and oftentimes it's maybe friends or people that you want to actually follow because you're like, man, they've got good nuggets of wisdom, you know, on Twitter. I follow a whole bunch of people that are other pastors so I can get their wisdom and, oh, how leadership stuff and all that stuff. And then there's this other group of people that people tend to follow because they don't like him at all, but they kind of want to keep tabs on the things that they have to say so they can actively not like them more, right? And so for us, when we are following somebody, specifically when we are following Jesus, this is not the same thing as following somebody in the same way that we do on social media, the same way that we do in our lives oftentimes. Okay, oftentimes when we follow some sort of leader, we wait for a book to come out, we wait to see what they have to say on social media, we just kind of do regular check-ins with that leader, Hey, when it comes to following Jesus, I think we oftentimes treat Jesus the same way. We're like, hey, I just need to, I need to do a quick check-in, make sure me and Jesus are still good, right? I got to check in on Sunday morning. Jesus, we good? Yeah, the music was good this morning, so I feel good, so I'm good, you're good, we're good, right? And, and it's a shame because Jesus, when he comes here and he calls people to him, he says, come and follow me. They do it immediately. They do it obediently. They drop everything that they have to go and do it. Because following, like following him doesn't simply mean keeping up with him and checking in with him. We have to come to terms with the fact that the call to follow Jesus is the call of discipleship. It means that you put Jesus first. 
It means that you give Jesus your complete and total loyalty, your complete and total obedience and trust. Just as the disciples left everything to follow Jesus, our job is to reorient our entire life around Jesus. He is your master if, he said, if you have said yes to him. He is your master. He is your Lord. He calls you to follow him. Mark 1.17, it's real simple. Come, follow me. Like, we're not breaking new ground with this text today. I don't think anybody's going to walk out here and think to themselves, man, I've never heard Jesus call people to him before. It's very, it is a simple call, but it is an absolute call. There is no wiggle room. There were no other parameters. You're either a follower of Jesus or not. He didn't say, hey, come follow me. But before you do that, why don't you go ahead and go check in with your spouse first? I mean, that would have been a good call. But we don't get that. Like, we don't get that. It says, come and follow me. I would have loved to hear that conversation, by the way. Like, hey, I was, honey, I was at work, and there was a rabbi who came by and said, come follow me. So I just dropped everything that I was doing and, and left and followed this guy in sandals with a sweet beard. And e even the idea that we get here is that they followed him immediately. It was like... They left their nets and all and just went. So the second part of the call is not just come follow me. It has to do with the reason why Jesus calls you to follow him. He says, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. If anybody knows Pastor Jeff, uh, Pastor Jeff has a truck. And on that truck, there is a license plate that says fish of men. Which if you're a Christian, you get. Right? Like you, you, you understand it almost right away. It's missing some vowels, okay? It's missing the R. But for the most part, you can read it. It says, fish of men. And then he, he just told me a few minutes ago, he was like, yeah, but a lot of people just ask me if I'm a fisherman. And I'm like, well, kind of, <laughs> right? Just confusing. But this is where he gets it, this idea of, of I will make you fishers of men. So when Jesus calls you, he not only wants your loyalty, he not only wants your trust, but he wants to change you. He wants to change you. He wants to make you into something that you were not before. He wants to make you into fishers of men. So what was Jesus saying here? He's saying the call to follow Jesus includes the call to bring other people to God. That's it. It includes the call to bring other people to God. This idea of catching or winning other people for God wasn't a foreign concept to the disciples. Proverbs 11.30 says, he who wins souls is wise. That's Old Testament. He who wins souls is wise. The book of Daniel says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. That's Daniel 12.3. God's people have always been called to lead other people to God. So Jesus calls you to follow him so that you then may extend the call to other people. Jesus' first and last commands, this is great, this is one of my favorite things, Jesus' first and last commands have to do with the idea of witnessing to other people, evangelizing to other people, winning souls. His first command is in Mark, it says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. His last command is in Acts 1.8. And in Acts 1.8 it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. His first and last commands, 
Tell people about me. Jesus' call is the same for us today. So what should our response be to that call? Well, what do the disciples do? Great question. Mark 1.18, it says, For they immediately obeyed Jesus. At once they left their nets and followed him. At once. Like fish still in the net at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. I don't know if it was that at once, but it was quick. Like if I'm Peter and Andrew, I'm leaving the net there because that thing seemed heavy. And if I know I don't have to pull it up, I'm out of there. Right? So there's an immediacy to it. It says, at once they left their nets and followed, and followed him. But this is how we should respond to Jesus immediately. Jesus is God. Right? He is the king. And the only proper response when Jesus calls you to follow him is to do so immediately. So when Jesus calls, it's time to go. So the disciples, they immediately respond in obedience to Jesus' call. They're like, all right, yep, let's go. They left everything behind to do it. Look at verses 19 and 20 now. It says, when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So Jesus, at this point, was being followed along by Simon and Andrew, and he walks a little further on down the shore, and he sees James and John, and they're in a boat with their dad preparing nets for the next round of fishing. Let's go. And I'm always curious about, like, the details of these things. Like, how far out were they, right? Like, like did they literally jump out of a boat and swim to shore and try to get, get to Jesus? Were they just sitting on the shore getting ready? Like, what, like what, is it, what did it look like? But they abandoned their dad. They, Jesus called him, and they literally left behind everything to follow him. Right? Simon and Andrew left their nets behind. James and John left their nets. They left the boat. They left the family business. And they left their dad in order to follow Jesus. And they did it immediately. We have the same story on repeat. It's the same call. It's the same leader. There was something about this leader that forced them to leave the most important thing in the world to these men's families, their occupation, in order to follow Jesus. And I'm not saying, if you're here today, don't mishear me. Like, I'm not saying that Jesus always calls us away from all of our occupations and our possessions and everything like that. I'm not saying that you should go home and sell your house and sell all of your possessions and follow uh, a bearded man with sandals or anything. But we do need to be willing to follow Jesus. We do need to be willing to do the things that he has called us to do. One of the things that I always think, but think about, stay with me here because this is kind of strange. Think about your favorite jacket, favorite jacket, sweatshirt, like whatever it may be. And not like that old ratty one that you've had for 30 years that you're like, I just love the way it smells. It smells like you and it stinks, so get rid of it. But like the sweet one, like the new one, like you just got it and, and, and it's hiding like that winter weight that you put on, right? And you're like, you know what? I look so good in this sweatshirt. Every time I put this sweatshirt on, it feels like someone is hugging me, but it also looks awesome. You guys know the sweatshirt that I'm talking about, right? So every time I think about, am I willing to follow Jesus? I think to myself, if it was a cold morning and I pulled up to a stop sign and there was somebody there really, really, really cold, would I be willing to take that sweatshirt off my back and give it to him? Or would I just have to like run to Target real quick and get him a new one and, and give it to him? Because if the answer to that question is no, like if the answer to that question is like, oh, you can't have my favorite sweatshirt, how will I ever, how will I ever be okay doing anything that Jesus asks me to do? 
How will I ever be okay abandoning things that I think are the most important things in my life in order to pursue Jesus, in order to continue to follow Jesus? Am I willing to leave everything? Why? Because the time has come. The kingdom of God has arrived in the person of Jesus Christ. So we must repent, we must believe the good news, and follow him immediately and do so in obedience. In this passage of Jesus calling the disciples, it's a challenging one. And it's a challenging one for us this morning, us in in, in American Western Christianity, and it's supposed to be. It's meant to challenge you with the message of God's kingdom with the call to discipleship and your appropriate response, our appropriate response. Are you actively following and pursuing Jesus? If not, you need to ask yourself, am I really a Christian? Am I really saved? That's the call. If you're not following Jesus, then what are you doing? Jesus said, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus calls you to follow him, and in following him, you are bringing others along. God's kingdom is meant to be shared, and we need to be wise and looking for opportunities to lead other people to Christ. Is Jesus making you a fisher of men? The disciples left everything behind in order to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is actually like a whole series of leaving things behind when you think about it. Like everything that you think is important, everything that maybe you have white-knuckled for so long in your life, following Jesus is a whole series of leaving things behind. Because when we first begin to follow Jesus, we leave our old way of life behind. Right? The idea of repentance, we're turning away, we're going to begin to follow, follow God. But as we continue to follow, we will leave other things behind along the way as well. Oftentimes, it's our comfort, if I'm being honest. When's the last time you've left your comfort behind for the sake of pursuing Jesus? Like, I get it, because like, even today, like today, where, where I'm supposed to be the most spiritual, right? It's Sunday, so I have to be really, really spiritual on stage. Okay? But even today, like, I know that at the end of this, I am going to, to we're going to do communion, we're going to pray, we're going to get out of here, I'm going to uh, shake some hands and kiss some babies and do all the things that I'm expected to do. And then after that, I'm going to go to my in-law's house, I'm going to plop down on the couch, I'm going to watch some warriors win, I'm going to watch some giants win, I'm probably going to take a nap, and I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to come into work to my really cushy job, sorry, my job that I work really, really hard at every single day, tirelessly every single day, and continue forward. Like, I know that, and I'm comfortable in that. And you have your routines that you are comfortable in. You have your life that you are comfortable in. And at some point, we have to be okay saying, I am okay releasing whatever it is that you would have me release, God, for the sake of following your son even further, for the sake of of my sanctification, for the sake of my holiness, and for the sake of proclaiming your name to a world who needs to know it. The call to follow Jesus is the call to discipleship. Christ is calling you. So the question is, is how will you respond? Right, the reason these four men dropped everything to follow his leader is because he offered something to them that they could not say no to. Not only was it a rabbi who was offering them an opportunity to learn more about God, but, uh, to learn more about God, but more importantly, 
It was the fulfillment of everything they had been waiting for. He was the fulfillment of God redeeming his people. They knew that if they followed Jesus, they would be able to be with God forever. The way we kind of normally respond to a call like this at, uh, at FBH is to look at the people who are already in our relational world, your relational world. We call these people our oikos. And this is only for people who would call themselves Christians, right? If you have yet to say yes to God, if you have yet to, to follow God, this peace isn't, isn't for you. But one of the things that we say, because oikos is the Greek word for household, so we say that God has both supernaturally and strategically placed eight to 15 people in your relational world for you personally to make an impact for the kingdom of God. People you already know. Keeping the good news of Christ to yourself isn't fully following God. It's only listening to half of its call on your life. And if I'm being frank, that's, that seems kind of selfish. And I think so often we just get like into this little bubble of like, if I can just learn a little bit more and I can, I can just have less doubt and if I can just, well, I'll share when I'm comfortable or, and it just becomes about us. And we miss the second half of Christ's call on our life, which is the promise that if we follow him, he will make us fishers of men, which is both a promise as well as a command in our lives. Church, can you just imagine what it would look like if we embraced the call of Christ in our lives, if we dropped what we at one point thought was so important, whether it be the sin that we're holding on to or our comforts or whatever it may be, and follow Jesus so that we could partake in the work that is actually the most important. I mean, not just would our church be transformed, but our community would be transformed if the church embrace the full call of Christ instead of stopping at come and follow me. Come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. If you have already said yes to Jesus, it's now your responsibility to be a fisher of men and follow him in that. I know for some of you, like that is the most terrifying thing in the world and I get it. Like I get it. It's nerve wracking. For some of you, you're like, I talk to Jesus about everybody. Like that's literally just the first word that comes out of my mouth in the morning is Jesus. But follow him and he will make you fishers of men. So we're going to transition to a time of communion now. And so if you need communion elements, you can raise your hand. But, I, but don't, I'm going to keep talking. So don't like, don't zone out on me. If you need communion, just raise your hand. But I want you for a second to think about two things. First, I want you to think about if you have fully embraced the call of Jesus in your life. Like, have you fully said, yes, I will come and follow you. I will follow you. Because I think there's a certain, there's a section of people in here who maybe not have said yes to God in that sense yet. And so if that's you, and we're going to pray in just a second, and I would love for you to enter into the family of God with us by making a profession of faith and praying the ABCs. We do it every single week because we don't believe that you need to be a member of FBH in order to partake in communion with us, but we do believe that you need to be a member of the family of God. You need to have made a profession of faith in order to receive communion with us. 
But secondly, and I think this applies to the larger swath of people in this room, is that I think for the most part, we have not fully embraced that second half of the call of Jesus to come and make us, that Jesus is going to make us fishers of men. And so as the band plays in just a second, I want you to get right with God. I want you to commune with God. I want you to make sure that, that you have measured your heart and make sure that you are, man, thank him for his sacrifice on the cross. But once you're done with that, I want you to think about a person that you already know, just one, two if you're an extrovert, but just one person who does not yet know who Jesus is, who needs to know who Jesus is. I'm not asking you to make new friends. I'm not asking you to go talk to some random person on the street. I'm asking for people who are already in your life that need to know who Jesus is, and you are personally, you feel personally responsible to those people. I want you to pray for that person, but beyond that, I want you to pray for an opportunity for you to talk with that person, and then also that, that you would pray that God would just give you the passion and the desire and the courage to actually have that conversation sometime this week. So the band is gonna play a song, I want you to pray over those couple things, then we will receive communion together. Bow with me real quick. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Mark. Thank you for his passion and his just pushing through in these stories and all of the things that, that really, truly are important in our lives, that we would recognize that, that you have called us to discipleship you haven't just called us to this idea of cheap grace. You haven't just called us this idea of a golden ticket into heaven. You've called us to follow you. And that as we follow you, you would make us fishers of men. And so this morning, God, just for the first half of that call, if there's anybody in here who has not yet said, yes, I want to follow you, if that's you this morning with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, you can pray along with me to commit your life to Christ, to make a profession of faith. Simply say this, say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I repent of that sin. But B, I believe you sent your son to die on a cross for me. So I wouldn't have to endure spiritual death. And C, I choose to follow you every single day of my life which in part means that I'm going to bring other people along with me. Make me a fisher of men, Father. It's in your son's name we pray.